0: Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. As today will be our first of two weeks, looking at the third chapter in the book of Acts. As this morning, we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, or when the lame beggar is healed, which comes following, church, as we all saw back in Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out on, filled, and gave the disciples of Jesus Christ the ability to speak in other known human languages and tongues, to which the Apostle Peter then made clear to a crowd of people here, church, a crowd of people who had just heard and witnessed these disciples of Jesus Christ speak in that of their own native languages and tongues that this was all in accordance with the very word of God as foretold by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, to which the apostle Peter then, for he did not stop there, but eventually then went on to say to this same crowd of people that Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, who you crucified and killed, that he is both, verse 36 Lord and Christ, to which this Jewish crowd of people then, church, in light of that, for they were cut to the heart and asked, what shall we do? Only for the apostle Peter then to say back to them in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." To which about 3,000 people then on this day received his word, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and were added to the church. And this early church, or this early Christian community, for they, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they were consistently with each other, had all things in common and and were freely and willingly and voluntarily selling their goods and possessions, their property and their belongings in order to share that money with anyone who had a need. And not only that, but they were also every day going to the temple courts or to the temple complex in order to pray and to worship together. And they were also breaking bread together, having meals together, and eating together in their very homes together. And thus seemingly then, church, through the preaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ, And the evangelism of these believers and the overall devotion that this Christian community had and displayed toward one another for the exalted Lord Jesus Christ then. For he used all of these means, verse 47, to add to their numbers daily or in essence to grow the church. And he could do all of that because the resurrected and ascended and exalted Lord Jesus Christ is the one Christian who builds the church, who grows the church, who saves sinners from the wrath of God, and who adds them to his church. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian... When we receive the gifts and the mercies of God, for it should cause us to praise and to thank the one true God. Christian, when we receive the gifts and the mercies of God, for it should cause us to praise and to thank the one true God. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 911. And by joining us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 3 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 10, where Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is so much to unpack here this morning. So much to be convicted by here this morning. And Father, having conversations this morning with all of these dear ones, Father, I pray that you apply this text perfectly and just as you see fit to each one of these dear ones here this morning. Lord, if we have not loved one another well, or as we should, Father, I pray that we be convicted. If we have not praised you and given thanks to you as we should, Father, I pray that you convict us this morning. And Father, if we have segregated ourselves from one another because we don't have the same personality per se, Father, I pray that this text convict us this morning as well. Father, I pray that you open the ears and the eyes and you soften the heart, hearts of your children this morning to receive this text, to be in all of this text, convicted by this text, and to be transformed by this text. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning. Father, that you be glorified this morning above all else. As we sing to you, as we pray to you, as we give our offerings to you this morning and come to your table in a bit, Father, we pray that you be glorified this morning. That the saints here today are built up in the faith and that you, Father, are glorified. Do this wonderful work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. Christian, as you have opportunity do good to everyone. Christian, as you have opportunity, do good to everyone. Verses 1 through 6. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So as we open Acts chapter 3, we see in verse 1, now Peter and John, obviously referring here, church, to two of Jesus' apostles. The apostle Peter being the one who not only denied Jesus Christ three times before his crucifixion, but who also then, as we saw back in Acts chapter 2, possessed the courage now needed to boldly bear witness to Jesus Christ before even that of crowds. And the Apostle John here being the son of Zebedee, or the Apostle who Jesus Christ loved. And these two Apostles of Jesus Christ, as we see in verse 1, for they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The ninth hour being at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Which should not come as a surprise to us, church, that they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Since, as we saw back last week in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 for the early church day by day, for they were attending the temple together. Nevertheless, as they, Peter and John, were going to the temple to pray during the evening hour of prayer, that, verse 2, a lame man from birth was being carried, and that a man who had been crippled from his mother's womb, and who also, as we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, had been unable to walk for more than 40 years, was being carried. Verse 2, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate. The gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, likely referring here to Nicanor's gate or to the Corinthian gate, which led from the outer court of the Gentiles into the first of the inner courts or into that of the court of the women. And it was a gate that got its name, the beautiful gate, because it was made with Corinthian bronze. And it was even more valuable, as the historian Josephus notes, than the gates that were plated with silver and set in gold. And it was outside this beautiful gate where the crippled man here was placed each day. And he was placed there, church, in order, as we go on to see in verse 2... To ask alms of those entering the temple, or as the NASB puts it, in order for him to beg for charitable gifts from those entering the temple grounds. Which, if you think about it, really is an absolutely brilliant idea. And I say that because, as John MacArthur explains it, for beggars in Palestine favored three different locations houses of the rich, main highways, and the temple. But of the three, the temple was the best site, since not only did crowds come to the temple daily, but they also came to try to impress God with their piety, and one way they would try to do that, at least in their minds, was by giving alms or money to the poor, therefore being that the temple treasury was where people came and gave their offerings to the Lord, for they would have already then been in the frame of mind of giving their money when they came to the temple." Consequently, then, this lame man was strategically placed at the gate of the temple for maximum effect. And thus, when this crippled man, then, verse 3, saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, for he, the crippled man, then, asked to receive alms, or as the NIV puts it, asked them for money. And Peter and John here, church, for they did not just quickly walk past this lame man here, or pretend not to hear this lame man here, or ignore, disregard, neglect, or do everything in their power to not make eye contact with this lame man here. But instead, as we see in verse 4, Peter, along with John, for they directed their gaze at this lame man here, or they looked straight at this lame man here. Only for the apostle Peter then to say to this lame man in verse 4, look at us. To which this lame man then, as we see in verse 5, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And that this lame man now was expecting and hoping and looking to get something from them here, church. Something like that of charity or coins or money or a handout here. But the Apostle Peter, for he doesn't say to this lame man then, for here is your money, or here is your gold, or here is your silver, or charity, or coins, or handouts, or anything like that. But instead the Apostle Peter, for he then says back to this lame man in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. For I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. And what exactly was that church that the Apostle Peter did have that he could give to this lame man here? Well, as we go on to see in verse 6, for it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. For in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. For that is what the Apostle Peter had to give to this lame man here. And what I found just so fascinating And so profound and just so encouraging about this text church was that even after these apostles of Jesus Christ in verse 3 were asked by this layman for some alms or for some money and even after telling this layman in verse 6 that he, Peter, did not have any silver or any gold for the apostle Peter then, as Dean Pinter points out, did not let his lack of money be an excuse then for inactivity here. But instead, the Apostle Peter went on to say to the layman in verse 6, that what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And that Peter did what he could do in the name of Jesus. And this is a helpful model for what Christian compassion can look like. And that it is not a matter of repeating exactly what the Apostle Peter said and did here as if that is the only way we can continue to live out the unfolding story of acts in this world. But rather, it is the willingness to respond with what we do have to those we encounter in need. For God doesn't ask that we do anything other than what we can do. But God does ask that we do that. Therefore, Christian mission is the willingness to respond to the needs around us with that which is distinctively ours and is, our, is in our capacity to do. And that is one of the significant aspects of Peter's actions here. For he did what he could do, rather than bemoan about what he could not do. And thus, as we wrap up point number one, for my encouragement to you all here this morning, church family, is this. That when you then, brother Christian, sister Christian, go out into this world and you see the homeless guy sitting there on the sidewalk or the woman begging for money on Route 30, Or the crippled man having a tough time making it across the street. The widow who is all alone and who just wants someone to talk to. Or the person who is sick and who quite frankly needs a little help paying their bills. For even if you can't solve the homelessness problem in America, Christian. Or give cash to every person begging for money around you, Christian. Or provide physical healing for the crippled. Companionship for the widow. Or afford to pay all those bills for the sick. Who are in need Christian, for that does not mean that you should then just ignore their needs Christian or neglect their needs, Christian, or pay no attention to, disregard Passover or turn a blind eye to their needs then Christian, but instead lovingly, let me encourage you in every situation to seek to love your neighbor as yourself luke 10 twenty seven and as you have opportunity to do good to everyone galatians six ten And that when you see the poor and the homeless, the sick and the orphan, the widow and the foreigner, the crippled and the person who is in need, for do not harden your hearts toward them, or look down on them, or oppress them, judge them, ignore them, or seek to show no mercy to them. But instead, as you have opportunity, seek to do good to them, whether that's by buying a meal for them or praying for them, paying some of their bills for them or listening to them, giving a ride to them or buying coffee for them, pushing their wheelchair for them, talking to them, taking them to church or sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. In essence, always, always, always be willing, Christian, to love your neighbor as yourself and as you have opportunity to do good to everyone, even to that of the least of these, all as a way to not only serve your God, Christian, but to also then bring glory to your God as well. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, when you receive good gifts from your God, for be sure then to praise and to give thanks to your God. Christian, when you receive good gifts from your God, for be sure then to praise and to give thanks to your God, verses 7 through 10. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So following the apostle Peter, telling this lame man in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. For the apostle Peter then, as we go on to see in verse 7, took this lame man by the right hand and raised him up. And that immediately then his feet and ankles were made strong. Not eventually then, church, nor later on in that day then, church, nor in the future then, church, but instead that after the apostle Peter took this lame man by the right hand and raised him up or helped him up, this same lame man, mind you, church, who has been crippled since birth and who has been unable to walk for over 40 years, that immediately then, verse 7, his feet and ankles were made strong. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, that as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. So much so that this once lame man, verse 8, leaping up he stood and began to walk. The leaping up here, church, as Albert Barnes explains, being not only a natural expression of joy here, but also a fulfillment of prophecy here. That prophecy being that of Isaiah 35, verse 6. Which reads, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And yet not only did this once lame man leap up, stand and begin to walk. But he also then, as we see in verse 8, entered the temple with Peter and John. Walking and leaping and praising God. Obviously praising God here, as one commentator put it. In thankfulness for what had happened to him, i.e. for being healed here. Nevertheless, in light of this once lame man now walking and leaping and praising God as he entered the temple, for as we see then in verses 9 and 10, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And not only that, church, but in recognizing and in realizing that this once lame man has now been miraculously healed. For this group of people then, church, as we go on to see in verse 10, for they then were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Which really does set the Apostle Peter up perfectly here, church, as we will see next week, to preach then to this utterly astounded crowd. Nevertheless, before we get to Peter's sermon next week, for I'd like to pause here for a second, church, in order to consider at this time a bit more deeply the response of this lame man here after being healed in the name of Jesus Christ or by the authority of Jesus Christ, where after being healed, this once lame man, in verse 8, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And thus, in light of that, the 17th century expositor, William Burkett, for he wrote this, For observe then, how this poor cripple piously ascribes the praise of this miracle to God only. For he leapt and praised God, not the apostles. For no instrument must rob God of his glory. Now we can pay and gratify the messenger, but we must also return our prime and principal thanks to our benefactor. For there is no doubt that the crippled man here eventually returned and gave thanks to the apostles. But his prayers were only to that of God. And thus to conceal God's mercies, for that is ingratitude. And to attribute them to second causes, for that is sacrilege. And thus very practically speaking, for when you hear then, brother Christian, sister Christian, that you got the job that you always wanted, for be sure then, Christian, to ultimately give thanks to that of your God. Or when you find out that your cancer is gone, for be quick then, Christian, to ultimately give credit to that of your God. Or when you find out that God has blessed you with yet another child, for be certain then, Christian, to ultimately show gratitude to that of your God. Or even when you consider, brother Christian, sister Christian, the gift of salvation that you now have, the gift that has taken you from spiritual death to eternal life, for also never fail to forget then, Christian, to give the glory to that of your God as well. And I say all of that as James chapter 1, verse 17, puts it, for every good and perfect gift, Christian, is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights. and thus being that every good and perfect gift is from our God. For let us all be quick then, Christian, to give thanks to our God, gratitude to our God, and glory, and honor, and praise to our God for every good gift that we have, and that we will ever receive, since they are all ultimately Christian, from that of our God. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first and to share with you that you non-Christian at this time can receive God's glorious gift of eternal life right here, right now, today, by placing your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came into this world non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins. Their sins that not only separated them from their holy God, But that also then made them deserving of the wrath and the eternal condemnation of their most holy God as well. And T. Jesus Christ did that non-Christian or saved sinners from their sins non-Christian by initially living a life here on earth that they could never live which was a life that was holy and righteous and just and good and free from any kind of sin. And in doing so, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense. And he did it non-Christian for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God for the very children of God, for that was not all that this Sinless son of God Jesus Christ accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because being that the wage of their sin or the cost of their sin is that of death, Romans 6.23... For he, Jesus Christ, also then took their very sins upon himself and gave himself up for them by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never ever sinned. And in doing so, not only satisfied the justice of our holy God, but also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, who appeased the wrath of his Father God toward the very children of God, for he, Jesus Christ then, didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, since sin and death had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Let us let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in His righteousness, in His perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of verse 1, again, which reads, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. And I'd like to close in light of verse 1 this morning in order to initially point out, as J. Vernon McGee notes, that what an interesting combination we have here. For only God would have put these two together as their personalities were almost polar opposites. As Peter was outgoing, gregarious, talkative, impulsive and opinionated. And as someone put it, the only time he opened his mouth was to put his foot into it. Whereas the Apostle John, on the other hand, was peaceful, contemplative, reflective, tender, and humble. The one Jesus loved, who leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. And yet Peter and John, for they were one in Christ, Therefore, does that describe your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with whom you will spend eternity with? And I think that's such an interesting question to ask ourselves this morning, church. Because so often today, when Christians have different personalities than each other, or different demeanors than each other, or different dispositions or passions, temperaments, or even as one commentator pointed out, that of different spiritual gifts than each other, that far too often then they begin to believe that they can't work together with each other, or get along together with each other, or do ministry together with each other. To the point that some Christians then will even begin to fight against each other, wage war against each other, talk badly about each other, and to try to tear one another down. When the fact of the matter is, as those who have been saved, redeemed, and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, for we are all part of the same body together, citizens of the same kingdom together, members of the same family together, and living stones that make up the same holy temple together. and that we are all all the same team, Team Jesus Christ, together. Amen. David Mathis Church, for he wrote this, about a man by the name of Philip Melanchthon, who was not the kind of man who started revolutions, but the kind who was brought in in order to make, or in order to smooth out ensuing chaos. His mentor, Martin Luther, was brash, and impulsive, and forceful, whereas Melanchthon was a timid, sober-minded unifier. Luther, by his own admission, was substance without words, while his brilliant young disciple was substance and words. Luther had little concern for precision or guarding against misconception. Melanchthon, on the other hand, made nuances forte. Whereas whereas Luther said he used a spear, Melanchthon used pins and needles. Therefore, although Luther was a pioneer, hacking his way through centuries of superstitious brush with an apostolic machete, Melanchthon played the part of the calm, collected, systematic, grading the Protestant faith for generations to come. For Philip, Melanchthon was the quiet reformer, and a fitting complement to the loud and boisterous Luther. And thus I know that there are a lot of different personalities here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And I know that there are a lot of different demeanors here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. And I know that there are a lot of different temperaments, and dispositions, points of passion, and spiritual gifts that are all part of the body here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. However, do not view that as a bad thing here, church, or as an unfortunate thing here, church, or as something that we have to get rid of, not embrace and wage war against here, church. And I say all of that because we need all those different personalities and passions, demeanors and giftings, dispositions and points of enthusiasm coming together here and working together here, complementing one another here, and partnering together here in order to face serve the King Jesus Christ together here. And thus lovingly, let me encourage you, brother Christian, sister Christian, to not view those in this church who do not have the same personality as you, or the same demeanor as you, or the same disposition, passion, spiritual gifts, or who are, quite frankly, very different than you, as those who you need to avoid in this church or stay away from in this church, or fight against, wage war against, defeat, or consistently compete against in this church, but instead view them, brother Christian, sister Christian, as a gift to this church, who can compliment you, help you, sharpen you, and ultimately partner with you, all while you seek to faithfully serve and to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ together. Since church family, no matter how different we all may be, be for we are all one in Jesus Christ together, and we must never, ever, ever forget that. Amen. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, that despite all our different personalities and gifts, passions and enthusiastic leanings, that we do not ever view each other as competition. But instead as citizens together of the same kingdom, members together of the same family, and living stones together that make up the same holy temple and that all of our unique personalities and gifts, passions and dispositions, that they all can be used as we as a church body seek to serve and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ together. Therefore, keep us, Father, from falling into the trap of thinking that because we as Christians don't all have the same makeups or gifts, passions or personalities, that we then must keep our distance from those who are different than us. But instead, let us see all of our unique traits as blessings from you God that you have blessed us with as a church family also that we can then complement one another as we faithfully serve and bear witness to your son Jesus Christ together let's pray heavenly father my heart is burdened for this dear church father Give us eyes to see that we are truly one. And that it is an absolute blessing that we have all types of people here individuals that are outgoing, individuals who are more meek and more humble. Father, let us see when we don't all have the same giftings as one another. Let us see these individuals as brothers and sisters in Christ who complement us in the ministry, supplement us in the ministry, sharpen, in us, sharpen us in our ministries so that we as a church body then can more faithfully glorify the King Jesus Christ together. We need ears and we need eyes. We need hands and we need feet. Arms and legs Necks and hair, we are all one body in Jesus Christ. Father, humble us, I pray this morning, to not turn away from those who do not have the same personality as us, but let us see them as blessings to this church body, compliments to us in our ministries, that we can be used together to more faithfully glorify you. Through this wonderful work we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.